Good morning, family. How's everybody doing today? It's so good to be together. It's been so amazing to just experience the Lord's presence here this morning. And I want to encourage you that even as we are continuing on with this part of the service and sharing the word, I really sense the Father is continuously inviting you, just saying, come, come in. And even if you don't hear a word of what I'm preaching this morning, but you are coming closer to the Father and just experiencing just Him drawing you, then that's great. That's fine. Then you are perfectly in the right place. But even the message I want to share today and continuing on with our topic of a a body of heroes, I, I want to do it in an invitation manner. So please receive the message as an invitation. The, the idea of this topic that we've been busy with for this term, a body of heroes, is to really try and nail it down for each of us that we are all part that, of a body of heroes, that each one of you make, make up and make part of this amazing family that does so much, but it's not about one or two or three people that does everything and make everything work. It's about all of us together. The only way the kingdom can advance, the gospel can be shared in this nation is if every one of us is living in that space where we are as a hero in the faith. And I want to commend you, and it's been so amazing to hear so many stories of people and, the, and just experiencing just this body of heroes that you are and just what you're doing, and particularly the love that is in this family. It's, it's quite amazing just to experience just the love and the care that people here have for one another. And I, I want to commend the pastors for also, for instance, and just their great love for this community that they have and how hard they work. And they've been really putting a lot of effort in over the last couple of months and with their leadership teams, the shepherds and their small group leaders and really building into just the love of this community. And just for all of you, yeah, come on. There, I want to give you a, and give our pastors a round of applause and all our leaders and just say thank you for the love that you share into this community and from here that we share into the world. The title of my message this morning is Secret Hero. We've been speaking about all kinds of heroes and and I want to speak about a secret hero, but you'll notice that with the title, there's a question mark because I'm actually asking a question. Can a Christian be a secret hero? Now, one of the greatest struggles any superhero has is to protect their identity. If it's whether it's Superman, or Clark Kent, whether it's Peter Parker or Spider-Man, whether it's Bruce Wayne or Batman, they always have these two characters, two sides of themselves, and one of their big struggles is to keep the two separate from one another and to have this secret life that when it's Spider-Man, it's a public figure, but Peter Parker, only nobody must know. Not, Not even his aunt is supposed to know that he is a superhero. Whether it's Bruce Wayne, the billionaire, nobody, it's only Iron Man that wants everybody to know that he's Iron Man, just because of his narcissistic tendencies. But normally for a superhero, it's a struggle to keep these two parts of their existence separate from one another. And that's why they, they often have uh, a, you know, some thing that they wear and a costume, and I don't think they would like if I call it a costume, a uniform. Some uniform that they wear and some way that they trick everybody. I mean, Superman's greatest feat is that he can disguise himself with just a pair of glasses. When he wears the glasses, he's Clark Kent. Without the glasses, Superman. And nobody can connect the two. I don't, it's like me. This is Louis, Pastor Louis. Louis, Pastor Louis. And nobody knows that it's one and the same person. I mean, how wonderful is that? What an amazing superpower. And, and they always fight this battle, and you'll see the tension in every one of their stories, how they try and keep their identity secret. And normally it's 
a, a similar event that happens in their lives that starts bringing these two identities in, uh, into one space, and that's when they fall in love with a girl. Whether it's Lois Lane or I don't know what Spider-Man's girl's name is, I can't remember. But, you know, then, then normally when it's a girl, then the battle begins of the two identities that have to now become one. And they struggle through this, and, and then eventually the superhero has to make this decision that they're not going to love the girl, they're going to break the relationship, because when they, when they love her, they're making her exposed to danger, and it, the whole thing becomes too much, and it's, oh, it's all try, crying, and it's so very terrible. But they struggle with these two identities. I'm going to read you a story in the scripture of a follower of Jesus that had a bit of a similar experience, not the girl part so much, but that had these, a secret identity. And how his secret identity as a follower of Christ started clashing with his public identity. And this is a story of a man that you may have heard of by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Now you'll remember, Joseph came onto the scene in the gospel, and he's mentioned in all four of the gospels because he was the guy that took care of the body of Christ after Jesus' death. So what I want to do this morning is read for you all four of the accounts in all four Gospels, just quickly, because each of them gives us a little bit of a different viewpoint and some different information about Joseph's life and the events of that time. And then I want to talk about just this experience that he had where his secret identity couldn't be held secret anymore, but it sort of became a public identity. So, but let's read in Matthew 27. We'll start with Matthew's account, then we'll go to Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew 27, from verse 57 to 60, we read the following. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. The man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. So the first thing we know about Joseph is that his name's Joseph. He's from Arimathea. But we also now know that he's a wealthy man. Uh, we don't know for a fact, but it seems that uh, a lot of the history talk and sort of the, the mythology around his life is that he was a wealthy man because he was involved in mining. He did, uh, he, there's stories about the fact that he would even travel as far as Cornwall in England to go and be involved with tin mining. Now, we don't know this for a fact, but these are some of the stories, and they always sort of color in the picture for us nicely. Now, I have had the privilege of being in Cornwall in England, down in the southwest of England. There's an area called Land's End, and evidently, he went all the way from, from you know, the Israel, from that part of the world, and would travel for business to a place called this part of Cornwall in, uh, in Land's End. Now, just a, a, an interesting story, just this has nothing to do with the sermon, just I found it interesting. How many of you have ever had a Cornish pie or a Cornish pasty? You know what they look like? Cornish pie is like a half moon, and it has quite a thick crust on the one side. Do you know why it has that thick crust? It's not just that way. I never noticed even that a Cornish pie looks like that until I was in Cornwall, and I was told the story. Because Cornwall, oh, throughout the ages, has been an area where tin mining has happened, 
the men would go into the mines to go and tin, you know, mine for tin. And to mine for tin, they would use a certain chemical to get the, mine ext- uh, the tin extracted out of the soil. And that chemical was a poisonous chemical. So, and the men would spend long hours underground in the cold. It's, it's the UK after all. And so what their wives would do to feed them is they started making these things called Cornish pastries. And a Cornish pastry is tailor-made for a man in the mine for a couple of reasons. It had meat and vegetables in it, so it was a good hearty meal. The way they folded the pocket with the dough and everything kept the food warm for quite a long period of time, so that by the time lunchtime came, the man could have a, a warm meal. And the fact that that thick crust that they did was so that the man could hold on to the thick crust and while he would eat that, he would never eat the crust because the crust would actually absorb the poisonous chemicals from his hands into the crust. So he would eat the pie like this, holding onto the crust, and then they would discard the crust. And that's what is called a Cornish pastry. Isn't that interesting? Now hopefully that's not the only thing you're gonna remember from this sermon. (laughs) I just found that interesting. That's what I was told when I was in Cornwall. So evidently he went all the way, for instance, to places like that and was involved in mining, and that's why he was a wealthy man. Now this wealthy man, at some point, became a disciple of Christ. In other words, He was a follower of Jesus. This man, after Jesus died, went to Pilate. Remember, Pilate was the Roman governor. And he went to him and said, can I have the body of Christ so that I can bury the body of Christ? Now, this was quite an unusual request in the time. This went against Roman tradition and Jewish tradition for Pilate to actually give the body to this man. First of all, against, against Roman tradition, because what the Romans would generally do when they crucified a person, they would leave that body on the cross for as long as possible, because why did they do public crucifixions? It was supposed to be a deterrent against other people that would cause insurrections and criminals and problems, so they didn't want to take the body on the cross and then just quickly take it down. They, they left it in that public place and would let the body hang there for as long as possible. Normally, they would actually keep the, the person on the cross alive as long as they could. This was their torture method. They would pe- keep the person alive as long as they could and then leave the body there. And normally, they would sometimes even, excuse me for saying this, leave the body there to rot. And the birds would come and eat the body and eventually they'll just remove the bones. This was the Roman tradition. The Jews also, it would have been very uh, unusual for for Pilate to give the body to Joseph of Arimathea and he would go against Jewish tradition. Jewish tradition was that if you were a criminal and you were found to be a criminal and you were a person of ill repute, then you were not allowed to be buried in in your father's grave and you were not allowed to be buried with the rest of the community. They would do a special thing where they would have a graveyard outside of the city, like the potter's field that they would have outside of the city, and that's the place where criminals would get buried and people that were of not good standing of the community. And so they would treat those people. So Jesus was supposed to be buried actually in a place like that, either to be left on the the cross as long as possible and then once his body's taken down, to be buried in sort of a dishonoring way outside of the city. In the context of this, here comes Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man, and he asks Pilate, can I have the body of Christ? Can I have the body of Christ? Now, we must understand, for him personally, this was quite a significant moment. Because up until that point, 
He was a secret disciple of Christ. He, people didn't know, and we'll read about it just now. So this was his stepping out and saying, I want everybody to know. Not only did he ask for the body of Christ, he took the body of this criminal, this person that deserved to be buried outside of the city, to have no real ceremonial uh, you know, niceties given to the body or to the burial. He took this body and buried this body in his own personal family tomb. So this was quite a risky thing for him to do. Let's read a little bit more of the information about Joseph of Arimathea. In Mark 15, it was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. Remember, Jesus was taken on the Thursday, crucified the Friday morning, and this was now the Friday, late afternoon, early evening. So as evening approached of Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, now we know he was not only a wealthy man, but he was a part of the council of the Jews. He was part of the body of people that decided to crucify Christ or to have Christ arrested and taken to the Jews for, uh, for, he, for the trial and for the court case. He was part of that group who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Remember what I told you, the Romans would keep the, 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 the people on the cross alive as long as they could. So Pilate was actually surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. So much so that he sent a centurion. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned that the centurion, that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. He rolled the stone, we understand, against the entrance of the tomb because he didn't want people to come and steal the body of Christ. Because of all the stories that were around and the fear of the Pharisees, he knew the discussions because he was part of the council. He was in that inner circle of the Jewish leadership that made this decision and that was afraid that, that the disciples of Christ would come and steal the body to claim that Jesus rose from the dead. So he put a stone in front of the body, uh, in front of the, of the tomb. So we see in this behavior of his that he was a follower of Christ, but at the same time, he was a member of the Jewish council. Therefore, we can understand his secret identity, that he kept it secret. He didn't want everybody to know that he was actually a follower of Christ, that he saw in Christ that Jesus was the Messiah. He was expecting the kingdom of heaven to come, waiting for the kingdom of heaven. But we also see that he, that he didn't really have an expectation that Jesus would rise from the dead. But he loved Christ. Let's read Luke's account. Luke 23, verse 50 to 54. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to the, their decision and action. So now we know that he was part of the discussions about whether Jesus was to be arrested and how Jesus was to be treated. But in those meetings, he said he doesn't agree. And obviously, being a follower of Christ, he would in those meetings say, I don't agree. But he probably still did it in a way that they didn't quite know his allegiance. They didn't quite know how much he loved Christ and that he was really a follower of Christ. He just opposed the idea. There would be others within the council that did the same thing. Because remember, what the Jewish leaders did was unlawful. They were not allowed to do that to Christ. That's why they eventually got the Romans to beat Christ and to crucify him because it was against the Jewish law for them to do it. 
So some others would have also disagreed, but Joseph disagreed with these actions. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Just think about this for a moment. Just this beautiful picture. Everybody seeing Jesus hanging on the cross. Scorned him, mocked him, belittled him, threw stuff at him. Saw a criminal. Saw a person that deserved to be treated in this way. Not so Joseph. Joseph takes this body of this beaten criminal and he puts it in such a place of honor. And this is the way that he now comes and shows his love for Christ. He says, I don't see what everybody else sees. Everybody else may see a criminal, but I see Jesus, the Son of God. Therefore, it's only appropriate that I take the body of Christ and to put him in the place of my family's place of honor, my, where my children are going to be buried, where I am going to be buried, and my family is going to be buried, the place that will always be our place of remembrance, that throughout the ages will, people will be able to say, this is Joseph of Arimathea, this is where our family will get buried. In that place, I want Christ to be buried with me. He saw something different than what others saw, because he saw Christ. In John 19, the last of the accounts, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. So here we get a little bit of more information. Because remember, in John 3, we are told about Nicodemus that came to Jesus at night and asked the Jesus, what must one do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus said, you must be born again. That same Nicodemus, which was also a Pharisee, was also part of the Jewish council. Also then at that point in time, probably secretly a follower of Christ. Joins with Joseph to take care of the body of Christ. Nicodemus bought a mixture, brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds or about 34 kilograms. 34 kilograms, that's a, a lot. That's a heavy bag that you have to pick up. I don't know if you've ever went, gone to buy meal, millimeal, 10, 10 kilogram bag. This, this is three and a half of those bags of spices, of things that they would put on the body of Christ. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. They treated the body of Christ with honor and dignity. Everybody else wanted to put that body, cast it aside, just throw it in a shallow grave outside of the city with no treatment, no spice, no honor. But these two men took the body, treated this body with great care and love and put it in a place of honor. But this became a marked point in their life because from this point on, everybody knew they were followers of Christ. No more secrets. This became the event where their two identities came converging onto one another. Up until that point, they got it right that they could have followed Jesus but secretly stay within the council. Probably hoping 
that at some point the, the truth of who Jesus is would convince the other Pharisees and the other scribes and the, and the leaders of the Jewish community and so that the, they would accept Christ and accept the Messiah. But it came to the head when that point happened, when the decision was made that we are going to, to arrest and crucify Christ, that at that point they could no longer just keep quiet. They could no longer just stay in the status quo. They could no longer just carry on with life. They had to make a decision. If they stayed followers of Christ in secret within the council, it would have meant that they were actually siding with the Jewish leaders, that they would have actually denied that they loved Christ. So they were left no option as followers of Christ. If they wanted to continue on as a follower of Christ, they couldn't do it secretly anymore. They had to go and do something. And this was the way they found that they could show their love for Christ. I think all of us, every single one of us, has had similar experiences, perhaps not involving the body of Christ, a tomb, spices, linen, but how many of you have lived your life in a way and you follow Jesus and it's, it's fine? You, you can be a follower of Christ and carry on with normal life and even be a follower of Christ that not too many people know that you're a follower of Christ. That, that, that's not something that they would talk about when they think about you. Not that you're particularly wanting to hide it. It's just not necessary for you to, to make a big deal about it. But you're able to live your life in two spaces as a normal everyday person and as a follower of Christ. But there comes moments in all of our lives where these two worlds starts colliding with one another. Where something happens and you can no longer just carry on with life as usual. You can no longer just carry on and just be like everybody else. Suddenly something happens and you have to take a stand. You have to move from your secret place. Perhaps you're in a work environment and you're just faithfully doing your, your job and you're part of the people at work and, 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 and you know, in a workspace, it's not a place to necessarily preach to everybody and you don't make a big deal about the fact that you're a Christian. You just sort of, it's for you. But then you discover in your workplace that there's corruption and it's starting to knock at your door and they're starting to draw you in and they're starting to want to make you part of the corrupt dealings. And suddenly that becomes a confronting moment because now you have to make a decision. You cannot just carry on. Because of your faith, because of what you believe, it's, you're called upon to take a stand. Or any other kind of event that can happen in any of our lives where suddenly things converge and it calls of us to step out. This was not a nice, ideal time that Joseph would have chosen or Nicodemus would have chosen to stand up and to be made followers of Christ. This is at the very time when Jesus has been treated so badly and have been crucified. The rest of the disciples are fleeing for their lives. Everybody's afraid. It's at this point where Joseph has to decide, am I going to stand up and show my love for Christ or am I going to hide? And I just want to say to you that for each one of us as true followers of Jesus, we will have moments like that in our lives. You have probably already had a number of moments like that. Because this world is not our home. We love this world. This is a beautiful world. This is a wonderful world. 
This is a world where we experience God, where we get to know God. But this world is not our home. This world is in a fallen state. This world is in a state of animosity even, the Scripture says. And therefore, it will happen that from time to time, we come up against things that are completely opposed to what we believe. And those become very key moments in our lives. How are we going to deal with that? How are you going to respond? Now, I can't tell you how to respond in any moment like that. Because that's where you need the wisdom of the Spirit of God to be with you to know how do you deal with a situation. If you're in a corrupt situation like I described earlier, you need wisdom to know how do I deal with this in this situation. If in your family you're having to stand for something, or perhaps in your friendships, your friends, friends are, are going on a path and, and pursuing certain things that you know as a believer you cannot do that. But you also don't want to lose your friends. You don't want to lose your, your relationships that you've invested in. You would love to actually be a positive influence for them. And, and you don't want to cut relationships, but you also can't go along with what they're doing. Perhaps you're in a conversation at work or with your buddies at, at varsity or, or just wherever it is and, and, and things is going in a direction and you know I, I cannot go along with this. How do you deal with that? You need the wisdom of the Lord. But all I can say to you today, you have to deal with it. But the encouragement is this, that you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. And it is a privilege. It is a privilege for us. It is an honor. Like at the end of the day, it was a tough decision for Joseph and Nicodemus to make. But they were privileged to take care of the body of Christ. They were given that privilege to love Jesus. In such a terrible time, they were found an opportunity to show their love for Jesus. You and I every day get opportunities to show our love for Jesus. To show that we put him above everything else. We are not people that walk around with a Bible under our arm. We're not those that, as we've just, you know, sometimes people describe it, the Bible bashers, that wants to, you know, preach at everybody. We're not those people. We, we're just regular people. But a difference in our lives is that we love Jesus more than we love anything else. And we're not afraid. I love the fact, I think it's in Mark where it says, and Joseph boldly went to Pilate. Boldly. He was positioned by God. In Isaiah 53, let me just get that verse quickly in front of me. Verse 9, there's a prophecy that was given. Isaiah 53 is a scripture in the Old Testament that bears a number of prophecies about Jesus. Even things that Jesus had no control over, so he couldn't make them come to pass. These were prophecies that pointed that sometime in the future, somebody's going to come. And when you see these things happen in their life, you have to recognize that that person is the Messiah. And there's hundreds of prophecies like that that all point to Christ. Christ is the only one that has fulfilled all of these prophecies. One of the prophecies was this in Isaiah 53 verse 9. His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus' body would, should be assigned to be buried with the criminals, but that he would end up being buried 
with the rich. It was prophesied thousand years before it actually happened. And it came to pass because Joseph said, I love Jesus more than anything else. What can happen in your life, in my life, if we just know that I love Jesus more than anything else? More than anything. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, if at some point in your life you said these words, Lord Jesus, I give you my life, then I would like to remind you that the Lord heard those words and he took it seriously. As Bob Mumford said, he took a note. He wrote your name down, he wrote the date, and he said, all of my life. And he said, cool, that's our covenant. From this point on, the Holy Spirit said, my job in your life is to make sure you fulfill your commitment to God to give him all of your life. So when the Holy Spirit comes towards us and he comes and engages with us and he says, okay, I am working with you. What percentage does he have in mind? What is his target that he's looking at in terms of our lives? 100%, everything belongs to God. Our problem is sometimes we forget that we said all. We actually meant most. And most would be 51%. We think God has a controlling stake in our lives because we gave him the majority vote. And we said, Lord, okay, you can have 51% of my life, I'll take 49%. And then the Holy Spirit starts working and, and then we say, okay, Lord, I yield to you, okay, 60%. Okay, Lord, you can have 60%. I'll, I'll, I'll take 40%. And then you continue and you grow as a believer and, you, and one day you fall down and you say, okay, Lord, 70%. I'll, I'll keep 30%. And then and a little bit of time passes by and you go, okay, Lord, 80%. I'll give you 80%. Is the Holy Spirit happy? No, because his target is 100%. Why? Because that's what you said. So he's going for 100% of your life. There's no part of our lives where the Holy Spirit says, okay, that's yours, doesn't belong to me. At work, I won't bother you. At varsity, I won't bother you. At your, with your friends, I won't bother you. That's your 20%. No, everything belongs to him. He wants to put his finger in every part of your life. Because guess what? He's not a tenant in your house that you said, this is my house. I give you the biggest part of the house you can come and live in. But at the end of the day, it's still my house but I'll just live in 20%. No, no, you're the tenant in his house now. Your body belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. How many of you remember when you were kids and you would drive down to a holiday with your family and you and your brother or you and your sister and you and your siblings would sit on the back seat and what would you firstly do was you just get out the driveway. One of you would do, do this. Do you remember that? Draw a line on the seat. This is my side and that's your side. And this trip's going to go well, dependent on if you can stay on your side and if I can stay on my side. And if your brother just dares to put his foot over your side, it's World War III in the back of the car. None of your families ever happened? That never happened? Me and my brother, we had many fights like that. Then his pillow would sort of sneak over onto my side. How dare he? Some of us have an arrangement like that with the Holy Spirit. We've drawn a line and we say, okay, this 20%, this is now mine. You, Holy Spirit, all of that's yours. Just, just leave me in my spot. I'll serve you. I'll give you everything there. I just want to know that I've got a little bit of left for myself. Now, how many of you know 
that the part the Holy Spirit's focusing on is not the 80% that he has. It's the 20% he doesn't have. That's all he wants to talk about. He's consistently sneaking his pillow over to your side. He's putting his foot over there the whole time. And then you get all upset. But we have an agreement. He says, no, we don't. You said all. You see, and that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Consistently, every day, he's busy with all. And all is a privilege. It's the best place to be is when everything belongs to God. He, Jesus didn't come for, and die on a cross for 80% of you, even 90% of you. He came to have all of you because that's the best place for you to be in is when everything belongs to him. And that's what he's busy with in our lives. So they, I just don't think in Scripture there's place for us to be secret followers of Christ. Now, I'm not saying you have to be a person that tells everybody you love Jesus and all they just, oh, here he comes again. Oh, no, we're going to get it now. Five scriptures and why France beat Argentina. You know, it was written in the Bible. Viva la France. You know, sorry for the Argentinian supporters. We won't even talk about the Portuguese. I'm sorry. You know, no, we regular people. We, we just, love, you know, we like everybody else. But... We love Jesus more than we love anything. And it's our privilege. It is our honor to find very public ways to show that we love Jesus. And that's not by necessarily standing in public and raising your arms and worshiping. That's not necessarily by reading your Bible in your cubicle at work. But just through the way we live, we love Jesus. And when we get an opportunity, we share about Jesus. But we do it in a way that that is helpful to other people, not in a way that pushes them away. I don't have time anymore. I was going to share a couple of just some practical ways to do that with you this morning, but I'll keep that for another time. But I just want to encourage you. You have Jesus inside of you. If Joseph and Nicodemus could have seen the treasure that was the body of Christ... And could have put everything on the line just to have the privilege to bury the body of Christ. How much more do we have? We don't have the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We don't have a dead Messiah. We have a living Christ. Every day, everywhere we go. When the opportunity arises, let us not be in crisis and try and manage these two parts of our lives, my public personality and my private faith. But let's allow the Holy Spirit in His wisdom and care to bring those two together in a beautiful way that loves Jesus in this world that we live in. Won't you stand with me this morning? I want to remind you as we're standing that during our time of of worship and of the music part of our worship, we felt so strongly the Lord saying, I invite you to come and sit at my table. And I want to end the service in the same place this morning. There may be a bit of a challenge in the word that I shared that said, allow God, allow God to be shown through your love for him. But even that is an invitation because God's not asking you to do that in your strength. He's just saying, let me love you 
And by the power of my spirit, let that love be shown in the right places. So can we this morning just end our time here by just turning our focus back to the Father? I want to send you out from here this morning with this thought in your heart that you have a place at the table. You have a place at the table. Can everybody just close your eyes for a moment? Holy Spirit, I thank you for just being with us today, for making the Father so real to us. That we didn't just come to a service to sing a few songs, to hear somebody speak, but we came and we met with you, Lord. What an amazing privilege. And Father, I, I want every person here today, those that are watching on YouTube, those that are listening on the radio, to sense right now that God has made a place at the table for you. You belong. You belong. You are part of the story. You are part of the reason Jesus died. Allow Him to love you. Allow His love for you to spill out. Share that love that He has given you. Right now, Lord, I pray that every single person, young and old, would just be so aware of your love for us, Lord. Will you just say this to yourself? I have a place at the table. My Father's table. Thank you, Jesus. May the Lord bless you. May His Spirit continue to be with you in this week. May you experience His power and His grace wherever you go. And may you just be filled with His joy and His peace. Please, if you need prayer this morning... Won't you come to the front? We'd love to pray with you. Perhaps you've never met Jesus. You've never given your life to him. Let our team pray with you and help you in that process. We have baptism taking place. Please go to the functions hall where we normally baptize on a Sunday. Have a tremendous, wonderful week. If you're going to travel anywhere, have a bit of a break. Enjoy it. We love you lots, and we'll see you next week again. Bless you.